say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be You need another Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction My name is Jay Izzo And oh my gosh This is going to be an amazing show I'm telling you, there are certain shows, I say this a lot, don't I? I think it's because I get these great authors with these great books. Oh, Arsenal of Hope. Oh, is going to punch you right in the gut, the mouth. I, I'm just telling you, this is a knock your socks off book. Holy cow. And the author, Jen Satterley, who is married to... Another author who was on our show, yeah, Command Sergeant Major, Tom Satterley, who, yes, Delta Force, you know, Mogadishu, Somalia, longest firefight, 18 hours, yeah, based, Black Hawk Down was based on, the, yeah, right, yeah, that Tom, who was here in May, she lives with that guy, right, and it is such a vulnerable book that talks about the struggles, the pain, but the love the commitment to living with someone who has, we're going to call it PTS. We're not going to call it PTSD because it's not really a disorder. It is post-traumatic stress. And uh, it is no different than a brain injury. Uh, it's no different than having cancer in your brain. It is something that is around you every day. I promise you that you know somebody, you may know a family, and you may not know who they are but they're around you. A lot of times these combat veterans, uh, first responders don't even realize they have it, but they need help. And you know what the truth of the matter is? You can help. You can, it's possible. And Jen Satterley is going to be with us today and she's going to help us um, understand what you can do, what we can do, what families can do to help folks who are struggling with post-traumatic stress. It's a tremendous, they have a great, great foundation called the uh, All Secure Foundation. That's this hat that I wear uh, in support of them and their foundation and the men and women who have uh, given of themselves. Um, so we support it, but we're going to talk to her. She's going to be outstanding and love her. But before we do that, let's do what we do every week, right? I talk about your level of training, meaning we, we're four-part people. We're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. Jen, Again, Jen mentions that in her book, right? That, that you are, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, how is our training going? Because as Tom pointed out to us back in May, he said, you know what? You never rise to the occasion when you're under pressure, when you're under stress, when you're exhausted and you're tired, you only fall to the level of your training. It's absolutely true, right? So, so let's talk about the training in physically, mentally, emotionally in your life. So physically, what do I mean? Well, let's, let's keep it simple, right? Physically, what I'm talking about is, you know, how's your exercise? How well are you eating, right? Are you putting in good stuff in your body? Are you drinking enough water and are you getting enough rest? Let's just keep it right there. I mean, we could go on, right? But if you evaluate yourself on a scale of one to 10, meaning my training, you know, one is awful. 10 is, man, I'm knocking it out of the park every day. Because Jen's going to talk to you about every day you need to be doing something. You need to be moving, Right? Right? So how would you say your level of training is? Right? That's your first score. Five is average. All right, second score, your mental training. Don't be a mental loafer. 
when it comes to training. Don't sit on the couch and let things come at you. What you want to do is you want to be active, be an active participant in your mental training. What does that mean? It means you need to be reading, educating yourself. You need to take on the responsibility of that. Don't let, don't let the news come at you and tell you what you should think. You become an active participant in growing your brain. You have two halves of your brain. You have a right side, which is more creative. You have a left side that's more logical. You need to be exercising both halves of that brain, right? And, you know, it's really, really cool because you could do that in a variety of ways. You can read. And some people say, I don't like to read. Well, you know what? Here's what I do with my coaching clients. I tell them, do you listen to books? They go, yes. I said, well, I'll tell you what, listen to books and take notes on each chapter. And then let's review it. Oh, okay. I can do that. All right. Okay. So there's a way. Take up an instrument. Um, you know, learn a language. All of those things are, you know, are great for you to enhance both halves of your brain. So on a scale of one to 10, how well would you say that you're actually training your brain? Right? Same scale. One's miserable, 10's outstanding. All right, you got it. Good. All right, so you got two numbers, right? Third number is the emotional number. On a scale of one to 10, right? One miserable, 10 outstanding. How are you doing in these two areas? First is, how well are you able to control your emotions under stress? pressure and exhaustion because your emotions are under your control. Didn't say it was easy, but they are right. That's the first part of the emotional training. The second part of your emotional training is how well are you able to truly listen and tap into the emotions of other people? Do you really understand them? Do you even want to understand them? Do you really want to listen? Right. Those are the questions that when it comes to your emotional training. So how well would you say you're doing in that area? If you could come combine it all together, scale of one to 10, right? And that's, there's three numbers. Okay. Finally, the fourth number, the spiritual number. And, you know, a lot of times people, when it comes to the spiritual part, feel weird, right? Actually, I think Jen's got a section in one of the chapters that says, woo, woo, <laughs> I think is what it's called. Woo, woo. Right, because we it's kind of like, well, I don't know how to talk about spiritual things. Here's what I could tell you about spiritual things, right? And my my wife, who is so brilliant, gave me this this past week. She said, "You know what? You know how you know what you believe in. When things go bad, you're under pressure, you're under stress, you're in pain. What's the first thing that you run to? That's your God. Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it meditation?" That's, that's your God. Whatever you run to under stress, you know, pressure, stress, and strain, and exhaustion, that's your God. And sometimes it's yourself. And then you have to ask yourself a question, how's that working for you? And, and then you, know, you have to ask yourself, well, if it's not working well, then maybe you need to find, do something else to change it. So what, what number would you give yourself in the spiritual realm and your spiritual training? You have four numbers that are like the legs of a chair. If those legs are uneven and you sit in that chair long enough, you know what happens? Your posture goes bad. And that's not holistic health, as Jen will point out. And then, you know, here's the other thing. If the chair is too low, you know what the problem is? You can't sit at a normal table and eat right and be healthy. So we need to bring them up all together and bring them up as even, evenly as possible. And speaking of someone whose chair is at the right level and they're all, and she's at the right height. Her name is Jen Satterley. Uh, she has owned an advertising and film photography studio in St. Louis, created award-winning work for over 10 years. Jen has a passion for service and worked with several nonprofits, including the Pujols. Yes, if you're a baseball fan, you know who the Pujols is. Family Foundation, where she spent time in the Dominican Republic. 
on a medical relief mission as the documentarian after years in advertising. In the commercial sector, Jen helped to form an elite special operations military contracting company as director of film and photography. Jen embedded herself with and filmed Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Army Rangers on a large-scale realistic military exercises for over three years. While working with Special Operations Command, Jen saw a serious need for PTS, post-traumatic stress recovery, and became certified as a health coach to better understand the role of nutrition, mental health, and emotional health, and how that played in healing uh, from the invisible wounds of war. Jen immediately began to donate her time and efforts to hundreds of Special Operations veterans and their spouses to regain their health and, and combat the effects of PTS. Jen, along with her husband, Tom, co-founded All Secure Foundation to serve the Special Operations Warriors and their families. She serves as co-CEO. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome to New Direction, Jen Satterley. Jen, welcome. Hey. Hi, Jay. How's it going? I am great. Thank you. Uh, The book is fabulous. Uh, It is absolutely great. I love it. Um, So well-written. so candid, so vulnerable. It's, it's fantastic. So I think because I want to help as many people as I can, because I have three goals for this show. One of them is awareness. Two is, you know, to give people an idea of what they can do. And then um, three, because I have a lot of military folks and family listening to show is to give them some hope ultimately. And so um, those are my three goals. These are my three goals for the show. So let's get right into it. So Chapter one, which is entitled, It's Not You, It's You, <laughs> The Biology of PTSD. It actually starts, it's a story with you and Tom, uh, and he's flipping his knife, and he literally says, you know, I had to use this to, I remember having to undo these bombs. He says, you know what? Bad guys had to die, and I don't feel guilty. <laughs> yep, <pretty> and, much. <laughs> uh, he had 25 years of combat service, and it all followed him home, and so he he has his own PTSD, but you do too. Correct. Yes. So we have two people who are living in the same house who have PTSD. Let's talk through that. Let's talk about what you should have known. Let's talk about what, what, you're, what you had to do as you were dealing with un- both of you understanding what PTSD is, help other people understand what it truly is, because I know there's three types. There's actually more than that, but the three types that we talk about here and Uh, Let's get started that way. Yeah, so PTS, you know, it's not reserved for military veterans, first responders. And I know that's a lot of the narrative that people have is I don't have that because I never served Mm -hmm. when in fact it's post-traumatic stress. So anyone can get it really from anything. Um, I know that my PTS, uh, although my story of where it originated from and, and how I got my PTS was very different than Tom's, how we felt actually felt very similar in a lot of ways. So growing up with childhood trauma, a lot of my PTS was untreated and uh, had a sexual assault and rape when I was 18, which just kind of was a flame. I mean, it was just more gasoline on that fire. And so it went untreated for a long time. I tried some talk therapy Um, I certainly tried some reckless behavior (laughs) and some other things um, that, you know, show up quite often with when we look at PTS symptoms. And so the funny thing is when I met Tom, I never talked about, oh, I had PTS and and Tom certainly didn't. In fact, I thought he had like anger issues. Like, okay, you need, you need some help with drinking and you need some help with how you respond 
to things because you get way angry. Um, and, you know, the responses just aren't warranted for the situation. So, you know, really, we started looking at anger management and we had a phenomenal therapist in Savannah. And he, he was the first to tell Tom, which is remarkable because he spent 25 years in the military. 20 of those years were spent in Delta Force, which is an insanely long time to spend in a special unit like that. Um, so for him to not know he had PTS seems now odd. Like, how did you not know? Um, and it's, you know, we even joke like my PTS was attracted to your PTS because that shows up a lot in veteran couples as well. Like, you know, a lot of people come from trauma that are attracted to trauma. So our first getting together was a lot of sorting stuff out for years, not months or weeks, but for years. So let's, let's, let's help people understand, um, the different types of PTS because, there, there are three types that you kind of talk about. One, you know, so I'm going to let you kind of define the, what PTS, what the different types of PTS are, and, and so that people can kind of at least get a, uh, a basis for understanding it. Sure. Um, so post-traumatic stress, I, we don't say disorder at our nonprofit either. Um, we were corrected by a therapist once who said, no, it actually is a disorder, and, you know, we, um, I understand that a diagnosis needs to be made and there's clinical and things like that. And so we don't really try to argue with people over the language that we use at our foundation and a lot of other nonprofits in the military sector use as well, which is post-traumatic stress growth or post-traumatic stress injury. Right. Um, we don't view it as a disorder because you can heal from it. Right. You can get to the other side of it. It's something you have to manage. Uh, we talked about earlier, it's a daily thing that you manage, but it is manageable. So you have post-traumatic stress and you have complex post-traumatic stress and you have um, secondary. And secondary is something that is, is so common, yet I really have met very few people who have even heard of the term, mm. which is kind of surprising to me um, for the amount of military spouses and law enforcement spouses who have no clue that it's even a thing. Um, and, you know, I always hear the joke like, oh, can you catch it? <laughs> I, kind of. <laughs> you kind of can. So yeah. you have a traumatic situation and you have um, post-traumatic stress. So let's say you, you're involved in a really, really bad car accident and you see um, maybe a fatality or something that has really um, caused traumatic stress in your life um, mm -hmm. with an incident, a singular incident. You have complex PTS that can happen over multiple times. So in an abusive situation war, law enforcement, where you're constantly having, your brain is constantly reading that threat over and over and over again. So it's not a singular act, it's multiple. And then with secondary, you have spouses or children or family members who are then affected by kind of the symptoms and the result of the PTS, living with somebody with that um, injury can cause secondary PTS. So how that looks for most people is depressive symptoms, isolation symptoms, anxiety. That's how it shows up a lot in secondary. So uh, here's, here's some staggering statistics that you have in the book and it's called the science, the subtitle is called the science behind PTSD, simple, complex, and secondary. Between The statistics are between 11 and 20 out of every 100 veterans who have seen conflict are now believed to have complex PTSD. It's staggering. Huge. We're talking between 11 and 20%, right? Um, have complex PTS. And um, this is according to the U S department of veterans affairs. This, 
translates into 20% of our military families are suffering through chaos and pain. And sometimes I'm quoting you and sometimes violence or threats of suicide in their homes. And you say this in, and you said this, but we're going to do the best that we can on the show to say, to say PTS or post-traumatic stress. And we're not going to put the D and I am very, there's something that I, as a psychological professional, I find it offensive that we would call this a disorder. Um, we don't, we don't call brain injuries, a disorder. We don't call uh, brain cancer, a disorder. Uh, but for whatever reason, we have to put this D on and, uh, we see it. I know, I understand that it's in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. I get it. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's a poor way to look at something that affects so many people and that we need to deal with on a way different level level than calling it a disorder because it, it's, it's something so much different than that. Um, you talk about the secondary uh, PTS, and by the way, we'll get into that a little bit later, but you say un, you, we need to all understand that PTS is a brain disorder and it has a biological condition. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, that was huge for me because I think for my own trauma, I try to will it away or shove it away. Or if I just ignore it, it'll go away and I'll just, it'll just go away on its own. And I know so many of the soldiers that, you know, we worked with and and that at that time, I would say probably 90% of the time I was embedding with a team, it was a SEAL team. And so, um, you know, I'm talking to guys who are 22 or 28 or 45. It didn't matter. The symptoms were showing up the same, the, um, the way that they felt, was showing up the same. And so, you know, I, one of the things that people need to understand, it's bio, biology, right? So it's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter if I just shove it down or it'll go away or why am I not quote unquote man enough to deal with this? All the excuses I've heard about it. I want to take those away with this book because it's an injury that happens after a traumatic, stressful situation. And the body is going to respond to protect itself. We still have our caveman brains. We still are in survival. You know, we're getting to a place of thrive. But with PTS, you are in a survival situation daily. And your body is biologically trying to fight off the stress. And if you don't understand the biology of it, it feels like madness sometimes. And so until I really did what you said, took responsibility for my healing. I started reading every book, the body keeps a score, you know, and then I started going on to the next book and the next book so that I could understand. And the biggest relief for me was, oh my gosh, this is not a matter of willpower. This is not a matter of if I'm strong enough or brave enough. This is, I biologically have to deal with this like I would any other injury. And once I do, I'm going to get to the other side of it and heal from it, just like any other injury. It was huge for me. And it's so huge when we see our service members understand for the first time, it's not your fault. This is not your fault. This is not a matter of strength or being man enough or whatever else you want to say. This is biology. Just like you broke your arm, you're going to need to go through the process of healing and you're going to have people help you with that process. And it's no different here. It's no different. You you know, what's so interesting about that, Jen, is that we get so we get so caught up and we have this, uh, we, we go into denial. My wife has this great acronym for denial. Don't even know I am lying. Okay. That's her acronym for denial. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, it. 
<laughs> you can write that one down if you like. <laughs> uh, I will. <laughs> but we get into denial because we can't see it, right? We could see yeah. a cast on a broken arm. Uh, we could see a cast on a broken leg. We could see somebody who snapped their Achilles and Achilles and they're in a boot. Um, we could see after you've had a surgery, the scars. Yeah. But we can't see the scars in the limbic system, which is really what housed in this. It's deep inside the brain. It's what we call the old um, reptilian brain that exists inside there made up. The, I'm going to make it simple. Amygdala, hippocampus, hypothalamus. And, um, and, and we'll, I'll just keep it at that. But, there's the cingulate nucleus, but I don't want to get into that either because I'm getting too geeky. But um, the truth of the matter is, and you point this out, the amygdala, which is responsible for our flight, fight, and freeze response in these men and women have been trained to only be on one switch, fight in the brain. That's, that's the switch that's supposed to stay on. There is no, there is no running. There is no freezing. They have been trained over and over again to do one thing that switches fight. Sadly, that's what you got when Tom, when you met Tom. Oh yeah. I was way switched on. And I think that the thing that's so difficult for, it was for him and for so many other people is why can't I switch it back off when I want to? Like, okay, I, I understand when I'm in Iraq, I need that switch flipped on. That's going to keep me safe. It's going to keep my brothers and sisters safe. I'm going to make good decisions. Um, I, I'm going to keep that. But when I come home with my wife and my kids, I want to flip it off so that, I, you know, I can have a time that's relaxing and fun. And I won't freak out that there's a cup in the sink or I won't freak out that there's toys on the floor. But when that switched on fight all the time, your brain, especially, I mean, the way that our service members now deploy back, deploy back, the op tempo is constant. There's no time for your brain to go, okay, on, wait, now off. It just doesn't read that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't understand a perceived threat from a real one. So to a lot of our service members, they, my number one call I get is, why am I so angry? Why are my outbursts? Why don't they match the situation? It's the number one question. And it's because of that. It's switched on. It's on fight. So instead of rationally dealing with the situation, like, hey, can you pick up your toys? You go to there's chaos, there's disorder. Something bad's going to happen when there's chaos and disorder. It might mean death. I've got to get control over it. How do I get control over it? I fight, like you said. So these are all muscle memory, training, repetition. And we wonder why, you know, oh, why can't you just come home from some of these guys 48 hours after Iraq or at the grocery store picking up diapers? You know, it, there's no time for decompression. There's no time to allow for your body to rest. It's a constant up tempo of go. And so even when Tom's been retired 10 years now, he still has to fight that switch. You know, he, he almost has to will it on after 10 years of work. You know, it, it's it's doable, but you have to put the work in. And, and part of that is the education, like you had talked about, of understanding what's going on. The book is entitled Arsenal of Hope, and she is Jen Satterley, and she is brilliant, and she is awesome. And you, don't, you love her already, don't you? Of course you do. You know what? And you're listening to her here on A New Direction. Hey, everybody, listen, you know, New Direction has these two great sponsors. One of them is Epic Physical Therapy. 
they are my physical therapists and they are absolutely outstanding. They deal with professional athletes, but they deal with everybody. In reality, the truth of the matter is, doesn't matter if it's been a surgery, if it's an injury, if you're just trying to move a little bit better, maybe, you know, you feel like you're just not moving the way that you used to, and you, or maybe you just want to get back into shape a little bit. You know what? Epic physical therapy does it all. And you know what, with their elite team at Epic physical therapy, I can tell you, they're going to provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored for your individual needs. It's because they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So when you're ready for your Epic relief, your Epic recovery and your Epic results, no matter where you're at, start with Epic PT. It's really easy. It's just epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T. Dot com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You know what? Got to tell you, been around for 35 plus years. And you know what? They're still at the top of the real estate game. How do you do that for 35 years? Most companies don't even around for 35 years. Well, I'll tell you how Linda does it. She understands the power of relationship. She understands that the relationship doesn't end once the sale is over. She understands that we are all people with feelings and emotions. And we have, we have all sorts of things that go into the home, like memories. We have, we all remember, we all have great memories of our homes and we want somebody who's going to take care of our home the same way we want our home taken care of. That's how Linda started her business 35 plus years ago. It's what she still does today. It's what her team does today. So when you're ready to sell your home or buy your home, go with the person who really understands she's spent 35 years doing it. She, the person who's going to develop a relationship and maintain it over the course of time. The person who understands that your memories are extraordinarily precious and she wants to keep them that way. Start with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Jen Satterley, author of Arsenal of Hope, Tactics for Taking on PTSD Together. We're not going to use the D in the show. We're going to call it PTS, but we understand for those people when we say PTS, we listen. We we get it. We, that's not that's not a phrase that you're used to. Um, it's it's not. And we we Jen and I and Tom we all understand that. So if we say PTS, you know what we're talking about. It's post traumatic stress. Um, I think one of the things that you kind of cap off this chapter with is the the real important thing is that you know what there's hope, right? I mean. If, if you are dealing with, or you know, someone who is dealing with uh, PTS, the truth of the matter is their hope, isn't there? Oh, heck yeah. There's another side to this for sure. The, the tunnel's long and dark, and sometimes we lose sight that there's a light at the end of it. But I, I can promise you, if you put the work in, you'll get to the other side of it. There is hope and there's help. Yeah. Now I, I say that, and then I'm going to give some statistics that don't sound that way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Because according to the Department of Veterans Affairs, 22 soldiers kill themselves every day. Um, during the pandemic, uh, I, I couldn't find refine the article, but it seemed that the numbers got a little higher, for, especially for veterans uh, during COVID-19, that that number increased during that time period. But every day, this is, what you, this is what you quote in the book. You said, this number of 22 soldiers kill themselves every day, this number includes veterans, active duty, and reserve. There are more service men and women deaths in a single year than all of the American casualties of the Iraq and Afghanistan war combined. That's mind blowing. That that's absolutely mind blowing. 
And I believe that we could stop it. And I believe that we can, if we can get them to help, I believe there's other things that we could do. I mean, I'm going to say this. You don't have to. I'm going to say this out loud. And if anybody from the government is listening, you can feel free to contact me. But here's the deal. We trained them to kill and to do whatever we ask them to do out there. We need to do a better job of untraining them when they come back. That's our responsibility. I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. All right. And I'm going to leave it at that. Um, so <clears throat> let's talk about willpower because <laughs> I'm going to say it this well, this way, uh, willpower is crap. Okay. Go ahead, Jen. How, how does willpower work in overcoming PTSD? You know, I learned about willpower in my health coaching, uh, school. And so really understanding that biologically, we're not really meant to deal with willpower. Willpower is this idea that if I think about it hard enough, then I can overcome it. But it's knowledge is not enough. You have to have habit change. You have to have systems and plans in place to truly create change in your life. You can't just say, oh man, if I were, you know, if I were had enough willpower or motivation, then I could get through this. But that also means that it's giving you kind of a cop out in and out pretty quickly too. Like, hey, it didn't work or I made a New Year's resolution. If I just had enough willpower, I would have gotten through, I don't know, maybe March, you know, maybe I would have made it halfway through the year. But we are not meant that way. If we want long lasting change, we have got to go beyond willpower. It is not a matter of hey, I had it or I didn't. It's, did you have a plan in place? Did you apply the knowledge? Did you have tools? Did you have someone who could help you, an accountability partner to help you through this journey? It's so much more than just the will to get better. You know, this is, this, it's so true because what the problem is, is that we have this idea. And I especially think you say this in the book is that, you know, these guys, and gals who have been so trained, they just believe that because they, they, they believe that they're pretty invincible, mm-hmm. right? You gotta be right. 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 right? And so they, they, you know, they have been able to willpower their way through so much, so much, and it's not working when they get home. And, and that's the problem. It is. It becomes a big problem with the ego too, right? You know, why, why can't I do this? What is the issue? And why can't I, why am I not strong enough in order to just not have to deal with this right now? Mm. Um, that's, that's not it. You know, it's nobody's willing their way out of cancer or willing their way out of a broken femur, <laughs> you know? So the same mindset needs to be present here as well. This is not a matter of willpower. This is a matter of having the information, the tactics, the um, teammates. It's about having a plan and then committing to that plan every single day. Mm. You talk about in chapter two here, um, depression. Mm -hmm. And that depression is, um, that it's important that the warrior acknowledge their depression. Why is depression such a key to PTS? I personally believe that depression, you know, when you have lost your love of whatever you love, that is so incredibly damaging, especially to service members. 
I get the call constantly from active duty members saying, I used to love being a Green Beret, or I, there was, I wanted to be a SEAL my whole life. And I trained and I got to this level and now I don't even like it any, I mean, I don't know what's wrong. I don't feel anything. I'm completely mm -hmm. numb to it. I'm numb to my family. I'm numb to my kids. And what they're feeling is depression. And again, our warriors don't really like that label. They don't like the label of disorder, depression, anxiety, anything that makes them feel less than, mm -hmm. that makes me less than a warrior. Um, so depression is an ego killer. It's a shame that's attached that is unnecessary. Um, and it, it really does. When Tom had his depression, oh gosh, he's always had it. But when he went through a cycle about three years ago, he started transcranial magnetic stimulation because his depression spiked back up. And it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like it came out of nowhere or seemingly nowhere, you know, he was doing really great. And then it kind of crept in and it got to the point where we had to deal with it right. and he had to deal with it. And, you know, there it is again, the hope is he got to the other side of it and right. he was able to conquer that, but depression in our service in anyone, but in our service people, it has an attachment of shame to it. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to list. Some, you list uh, a number of signs uh, in chapter two mm -hmm. of depression. I'm. I'm going to just uh, take them out so that you don't have to remember them all because you've got you've got a pretty big list here. Um, not that you couldn't. Not saying that you couldn't. But no, I'm, no, no. I. <laughs> I've got them. In, I've got them in front of me. I can actually see them uh, on my screen. Uh, loss of appetite or eating too much, drinking too much, avoiding sobriety um, and reality taking pills or other drugs to avoid feeling unhealthy weight loss or weight gain, overwhelming anxiety over everyday concerns, anger or lashing out in response to minor disturbances or over nothing at all, uh, refusing to get exercise or go outside, isolating, unable to keep a job, unable to finish a project, and the list goes on and on, reckless behavior, suicide thoughts or um, statements. And it's, it's a pretty comprehensive list. I, it's really, it's very difficult for people to see themselves in the forest amongst the trees and know where they're at. And, and that's a message that came really clear as I was reading your book that it's, it's, you know, you just don't see it. You know, when you're in the middle of a depression, you don't always see that you're in a depression. Do you? Nope. That's true. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know that Tom, I'm sure Tom, when he was having his bout, you know, wasn't thinking, you know, initially I'm not, I'm depressed. I'm sure, you know, it kind of caught up with him later, but at first I'm sure it was, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just having, you know, a couple, exactly. right. Yep. Bad days, <laughs> you know, yep. right. Is how this, how it starts, but it's so important. I want to talk about something though. You just said, because this is a real crux in your book too, is the shame and embarrassment of PTSD. The, it's the post, right? Uh, we're going to get into the multi-personality part of it, but shame, shame and embarrassment is a big part of this too, isn't it? Oh, it's huge. Shame and embarrassment. I mean, if you can imagine, so I'll take Tom for an example. He, you know, is 19 years old when he enters service. He is 20, six years old when the incident of Mogadishu happened, Black Hawk Down. And then he had an entire career, nothing I don't think that intense, 
but he was involved in many, many um, firefights and combats and missions. He's lost many, many friends, um, has witnessed many friends either um, die in his arms or die near him. And so the amount of trauma, the amount of things that he has seen, he went into a place of training harder, longer, faster. So his brain was trying to say, hey, okay, I recognize the threat. It's kind of obvious, right? People are shooting at me um, and I need to survive. So Tom trained harder. He trained longer. He, you know, worked out three, six times a day. And so in his mind, he's like, I'm an elite, highly trained warrior. And he is. He's a very elite, highly trained warrior. So anything that's going to take away from that, um, that identity of elite warrior, anything that can ding at that depression or isolation or loss of this or, you know, drinking to self-medicate, that makes him feel less than. And so then he goes into a shame cycle and an embarrassment cycle. And when he's in that, then maybe he's reacting with more anger or in, in more isolation. So there's a whole shame and negative cycle that is attached to this that goes very deep. Sometimes, you know, when we talk to people, this is untreated childhood trauma. We see that a ton of, you know, things that are showing up in childhood after combat was the trigger. And they'll think, okay, you know, I'm dealing with something from combat. And when we really start talking and working with them, it's, oh, this and this happened all through my childhood. And I never dealt with that trauma. And even that childhood trauma shows up as shame to a warrior. And, you know, it plays a huge, huge part in the role. Um, but again, understanding and educating yourself and arming yourself with what's happening, why it's happening, and then how to address it helps alleviate that shame and embarrassment. But I think all of us kind of have that to a degree. Yeah, no, we do. You're absolutely right. We, we, we all deal with shame, whether we want to admit it or not. Right. right? I mean, there's, trust me, you, you dig deep enough. There's something we're going to be shamed of Yes. that we're trying to cover over and that we don't want you to know about because, you know, if we, if we get revealed on that level, yeah. <laughs> you would get to know our real true self. And I don't know that you would like that person. Yeah, that like, is the that is the, that's the mindset, right? <laughs> right? And even so much of what our soldiers feel, and I don't, I don't even know if, if people realize this is they feel so much shame and embarrassment, even over the things that they've been trained to do. So, you know, I was trained to kill and do X, Y, and Z. And then when I did that, now I feel shame because my whole life I've been told turn the other cheek or it's wrong to hurt or kill. So then there's moral injury at play. That's, on top of the shame. And so when we ask soldiers, like, Hey, are you sharing this stuff with your spouse? Are you talking about some of the things that happen that are really hard? And their response mostly is, I don't want to bring the war into the home. I'm afraid he or she will never look at me the same because right. of what you just said, because I'm revealed. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think any of us want anybody to know who we really are. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, masks. we do what, well, right. Irving Goffman, who is a great s social psychologist, um, came up with what's called the drama, dramaturgical approach, basically saying that we all wear masks on our stage, depending, and we'll change the mask depending on who our audience is. 
And oh, we yeah. don't want we don't want anyone to see what's backstage because if you saw what was backstage, it's a little whew, it's a little messy back there. We get we just show you the props and the set and what we look like, and we give you that so that you can have that illusion. But we don't want you into the backstage because that's the real selves. And I I think that you know when we look at it from a drama that dramaturgical approach, I think he's absolutely right because when you see the mess. And that nothing's ever been cleaned back there and that there's, you know, splintered wood and all sorts of garbage back there. That's probably hasn't been cleaned for, you know, 40,000 shows that have been done on that stage. <laughs> you, you don't want to, you don't really want to look back there because it'll take away the illusion of what we try to present to you. And I think, you know, these warriors, you know, I, they do the same thing and they want to, but then all of a sudden there's a trigger that happens when they get home. And you, and you, you say here in chapter two, and call it, it's called the chapter called sweeping out the, co- the, the sub chapter is called sweeping out the cobwebs that you encourage them to start paying close attention to your triggers and, and both the family and the, and, and the warrior, right? You have to, you got to start making note. <laughs> right. And then what do they do once, once you know what the triggers are, then what's the next step? Yeah. You know, even with Tom and I, I didn't understand his triggers. And so I kept unknowingly triggering him. And it wasn't, um, you know, I, I found myself in a situation where I was walking on eggshells all the time, or I think I call minefields, you know, <laughs> because I didn't know what was going to set him off. I didn't know if I did this or if I did that. Um, and then that becomes a real issue for family members, you know, of God, I, anything I say or do, I don't know what I'm going to trigger him or her or how that's going to trigger. And people look at the really obvious things like, oh, do you and Tom not go to fireworks displays because the fireworks might trigger him. For Tom, and everybody's different, for Tom, noises and sounds will trigger a reaction of maybe a duck or, you know, he might look to the left or right really quick and it's a very quick um, physical response. And, and then it's over for him. He doesn't, you know, somebody asked once like, Oh, do you feel like you're back in Iraq when you hear that? And he looked at him like he was crazy. He's like, well, I don't think I'm in Iraq. I, I'm no, <laughs> no, I'm in St. Louis at the fireworks display. Like, no, I, I, you know, um, I, the reason why I duck is I've heard that sound, you know, a hundred thousand times. And if I didn't duck, I was dead. So that's just biology reacting. Um, but you know, understanding the deeper triggers helps you create that behavioral change. And it also helps family members understand what's going on. So for instance, I hear a lot, um, Hey, my wife, it drives me nuts. I come in the front door after a deployment or I get in the door after, you know, work or training and the house is a mess. And she's saying, okay, yeah, you've been gone for four months. We have two kids, two dogs, in that time, uh, there was a leaky roof and the kids had X, Y, and Z going on. Everyone has their own lives and everyone has their own triggers. What we need to look for is when the trigger becomes something that is going to um, unleash a reaction that nobody wants. So if it's, hey, this is going to cause a reaction that's a big, those big kind of explosive reactions. I know, okay, hey, Tom, House is a little bit messy when you're getting home today. I've had a lot going on. When you put a plan in place for that trigger, things get a lot better. 
I'm going to, um, I'm going to work with you tomorrow and we're going to get the whole house clean. Let's do a spring cleaning, whatever it may be. I know that chaos for him is read as clutter. So mm -hmm. if I can dismantle that trigger for Tom, so clutter is a big trigger for him, then we don't have those explosions as much. Um, it's important to become a, Tom is constantly looking for his triggers and then going one step deeper than it. So okay, I understand this is a trigger. Why is this a trigger? Oh, because of this that happened. Okay, how do I need to deal with that trigger? And he really does take responsibility for what might set him off and then how to mitigate that. We even talk about holidays. You know, for me, I used to say, okay, the holidays are coming. So I would over plan it and over prep it, which I didn't realize that was the trigger. <laughs> it wasn't even the holiday anymore. It was, I was triggering him by trying to prep him for a holiday. Wow. And communication between us has been our savior. And so when he would say, I know I can be a jerk on holidays, but you prepping me for it actually makes me feel worse. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I trying to avoid his triggers, triggering him. So let's work on the trigger of the trigger to the trigger. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love that. Her name is Jen Satterley and she is author of this fantastic book called Arsenal of Hope. Tactics for taking on PTS together. You're listening to her here on a new direction. Hey, listen, I talk about epic physical therapy every show, twice a show, actually. <laughs> and you know what the truth is? I really do use them. I really do love them. They have been great. And I want to tell you something. It's it's not just that they have the top of the line equipment, because they certainly do. They they have the best equipment, you know, whether it's the you know, Alter G anti-gravity treadmill so that you can run without feeling you know, pressure on your joints or the compression sleeves or the game ready with the ice and water, or, you know, the therapies that they have like blood flow restriction therapy, dub, dry needling, cupping. You know what the, you know what the big deal is that they're certified in all of these treatments. And it just gives you so much confidence when you walk in there because you know that they know what they're doing and that they have so much knowledge that they're going to find the right treatment plan for you. It's why professional athletes go to Epic Physical Therapy. It's why, uh, it's why professional athletes say that, you know, when it comes to getting Epic relief, Epic recovery and Epic results, I don't go anywhere else. I go to Epic Physical Therapy. You should too, right? And it's real easy. Start with epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, you know, for 35 plus years, she's been at the top of the real estate game. Here's the deal. She can help anybody all over the world. You know how she does that? First of all, she's independently owned and operated and is unaffiliated with a national company. That gives her the freedom to actually connect with the best professional, regardless of where they live in the world. And so when you want to sell or buy your home, if you start with Linda, what she does is she can refer you to the best professional in your area with an unbiased opinion. That's right, unbiased opinion. So listen, wherever you're at in the world, when you're ready to buy or sell, you know what? Go with the relationship memory-making realtor. Go with the one who is unbiased. Go with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. It's really easy. It's lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with uh, Jen Satterley and Arsenal of Hope is the book. Um, and we're, are you having a good time, Jen? I'm having a great time. <laughs> good. We're talking about some pretty heavy stuff here, but I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation and I'm enjoying hearing your perspective and you write just like your book. 
And, and that's a really big deal. Tom did the same thing with his book. I felt like when we were talking, I was like, man, you sound just like your book. And that's really important. And it's just an outstanding book. I'm going to jump to chapter three really quickly because there's a section here in chapter three. It's entitled hashtag no filter, anger, aggression, and violence. And uh, I'm going to read something that you wrote here um, pretty quickly into the chapter because I think it's important that we talk about this. Tom was trained to be angry. He was also trained to be violent. Quote, you don't go to war and hug a terrorist. You go to war and you kill a terrorist. You don't go to war and have a tea party with someone who's trying to bomb a subway station in London. You put a hot frying pan to his head until he talks. You sacrifice your sense of morality in order to save people. Every bit of that ugliness comes back home with that soldier. And I think it's really interesting because a little bit further down in that chapter, you, you actually call us out and you say, quote, for most of us at home, drinking coffee with our feet up, righteously monologuing about how we would never kill someone, especially a child. We do not have the faintest idea about the truth of the world. And then you make one statement. You said, do you know who wants peace more than you? A soldier. That's pretty powerful, Jen. That's some of the most powerful words I've ever written, read in any book. Thank you. It's, it's heavy. I'm like teary right now. <laughs> I'm crying at my own book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that good. I mean, that. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry over your book. I did, oh, God. <laughs> I did it in my book. I was reading my book for, I was reading my last book for, you know, to do the audiobook. And I got to the part where this, you know, one of the people were so inspirational in my life and I had to stop. Yeah. So it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Oh gosh. I just feel it's, it got me in all the feels today because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's so true. And, you know, I think we are sold this bravado, you know, we're sold this like robotic soldier image. Like they're going over, they're kicking butt, you know, and nothing bothers them. They're bad to the bone. And they are, <laughs> and they are amazing and they are incredible, but what they have to face is beyond anything that most of us will ever even have to have a nightmare over. Nonetheless, experience every single night when they go out the gate. It's not that it happens once or twice. Our service members are going out over and over and over and over and over again. And like Tom had said, he said, every time I left that gate, I was vulnerable every single time. Because every single time I thought this could be my numbers, it's a numbers game. So I've lost so many of my friends, this might be my night, just don't let me make a mistake that has anybody else come with me. That was always his prayer. It wasn't save me, it was just don't let any of my men join me. And I thought, I can't imagine having that every day before I go to work. That's just what I do before I go to work today. I mean, can you imagine like that's I used my drive-in before where I would listen to music or call a girlfriend or do something to like, you know, decompress on the way to or from work. It certainly wasn't okay if I go today, because I probably will. Just don't let me make a mistake that takes anyone else with me that I love and I care about. So yeah, of course, a soldier is going to want peace more than anyone else. They're, they're knocking in the front doors. And they're making decisions that none of us can comprehend without being in their shoes. And it's, there's no place for judgment in war. There's just not. No. 
No. And that's what I've got to say about that. <laughs> that's okay. I'm, I, you, got me, you got me too. And I think there, are, there I know that there, there are people also um, who are listening all over and watching who are, are just as teary eyed as we are right now. Um, yeah, I'm going to jump to chapter four, booze, women, and adrenaline, the reckless behavior, because this seems to be such a part of, of this, this lifestyle of soldiers that seems to um, be a part of, 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 of when they come home dealing with PTS and um, you, you know, this one, well, um, you know, the, the drinking just was totally out of control. Matter of fact, I think there's a point in the book somewhere you say, you know, I would tell Tom you're drinking too much. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then you would go, actually, we're drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, booze, women and adrenaline and, and, and why, that why lovely you... finger that goes out. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. And then I realized I had these pointing back at me, you know, um, I think it's true. Like the, what you see in somebody else that bothers you the most is probably something within yourself that you want to change or that you don't like. And I saw, you know, I, I had my own reckless behavior. Certainly it, it looked at a time that seems more typical that college, you know, age era, um, I certainly went through a lot of reckless behavior um, patterns and then kind of got my stuff together, had kids, um, met Tom, started working in special operations, and I became part of the soup. I climbed right in, you know, and <laughs> and it, it wasn't that like, oh, somebody was drinking. Like if you, and I'm not saying this is a peer product, like if you weren't drinking, but it's just every day when the work was done and everybody's so exhausted and so tired and you just worked, you know, three 18 hour days back to back. And then you've got another six coming up. Everyone just decompresses at the bar and just lets go. Right. And then, um, then you start seeing that that letting go isn't after a drink or two. But what I started noticing was like, wow, some of your friends are getting two drinks at a time. Like, are they closing? What's happening? No, they just, getting two drinks at a time. I'm like, wow, you know, that's, it's a little different from the world I was in where that becomes a medication and it becomes the collective medication. And in fact, I was just talking um, this morning with a service member and we were kind of joking, not joking about it, but I said, I used to say it brag. I used to have that list that's in my book, you know, if you notice any of these things, then your brother or sister in arms might be having issues. Then I'm like, I can't read these anymore because it's all of you. and It's what you all do. So, you know, affairs and reckless behavior as far as doing just kind of crazy adrenaline junky things right. and, you know, pushing everything to the edge or to the limit, whether you're driving crazy fast down Fort Bragg where Tom and I are like, yep, he's got an issue. You know, there he goes. Um, that it becomes the mechanism. It's part of the culture. And it's really hard to break from that too. Like I, I completely saw it. There's a mindset of being a warrior. And then there was sort of this culture built around it of it's acceptable to have affairs, acceptable to drink the bar dry or do drugs or do these crazy adrenaline things, because I probably am not going to live to 40. I might not live past another deployment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm already feeling pretty screwed up right now. And, you know, one ranger even told me I'm going to hell anyway. 
for the stuff I've done. So what does it matter now? I might as well burn it down. It's kind of almost that rock star mentality of, oh, I'll burn it down because I'm not going to make it to 50. And um, it's very live and very present. And it's one of those things that sits just under the surface, you know, anybody talking about it. You know, there's something, and I want to ask you about this because you mentioned this in the book that people have turned their lives around their jobs, their families, just getting sober. Very why, is, why is so sobriety so important to that change for so many of these people? Sobriety is so important on so many levels. PTS and alcohol don't mix for one. Like they're just two things that don't go well together at all. So it's a depressant, right? And we know, as you talked about different parts of your brain and how they react and what they need and good nutrition and good sleep. And when you're adding this gasoline to the fire, there's trouble on so many levels. Um, and, and also just, you're not making your best decisions. You know, you're really not making great choices and you can't see through the fog when you're in the fog. So many people that get sober, it's the light switch has gone off in such a big way that I actually love when I, you know, we'll meet, we just saw a guy in Bragg who's been sober a few months now and had dinner with him. And I'm like, I left like, who, who was that guy? Motivated, <laughs> focused, you know, really a new plan on his life, all because he's able to see through the fog of alcohol. He got rid of the depressant that is alcohol. And, you know, when you look at the amount of suicides that happen under the influence, it's 89%. So when people are like, how do we tackle veteran suicide? God, if we could take the alcohol out of the equation, we've removed the majority of the situation. Tom and I have talked to countless soldiers, countless who are like, you know what? I drank a fifth last night and I was going to do it. And I got so drunk that I woke up with a gun on my lap, like, oh, shoot, and putting everything away, you know, before the wife wakes up or whatever the situation is. So many of these guys don't want to commit suicide. They don't want to. They want relief. They want hope. They want to get to the other side of it. They feel like there isn't a way to the other side of it. And then they drink and the alcohol, the depressant, all of it comes back and boom. When we truly feel like most of these suicides are accidents, they're accidents. You have to be so intoxicated to do it. You don't want to do it. So when we remove alcohol, we are removing a huge part of this problem. And I know a lot of people are like, that's what warriors do. And like Tom said, hey, come on, we could toast one of our fallen every single day and we can use that as an excuse every day or we can live in their honor and we can live good lives. We could do that too, you know. You know, I was going to ask you to give a new direction for the show, but you just did it. Yeah. That was the most beautiful, that was the most beautiful, honest, vulnerable, incredible thing I've heard. We've been on an hour. Okay. It has gone so fast. It has gone so. <laughs> no, it, we, we're both talkers. Okay, let's just be honest. There. But it has gone so fast and you have been great. I would love to bring you back. And if Tom would be willing, okay. I would love to bring you both back. For sure. Both had and talk through some more of this because I think it's just such a powerful story that the two of you have, but also I think it can help so many people. So I would love it. Let's do it. So, okay. So here's the, other, here's the other piece. Tell people how they can get a hold of you. Great. Yeah. So allsecurefoundation.org. That's our website. We're also on all the social media platforms as All Secure Foundation. 
And you know what? Hey, you want to reach out to me directly, Jen at allsecurefoundation.org. Um, reach out to me. We have resources for help. We have plans. We have programs. And we would love to hear from you. That's awesome. Her name is Jen Satterley. The book is called Arsenal of Hope. Oh, was she? I told you she was so good. Better than advertised. I'm telling you. Awesome. You know what, folks? Be inspired because when you're inspired, that means you'll inspire other people. And when they're inspired, that means they'll in turn inspire others. And that can make this world just a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest, another great book. And it's going to be another great show. And as I say to you every week, you know what that is? Ciao, everybody. Dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction A new direction A new direction